Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. We're, we're not going to pass you again. Yes, sir. Let's go, man! Yes, sir. Dude, I, I'm, I'm telling you, we've been excited about this. I, I thought we lost you when we moved up, and I'm excited to get you here. We're excited to get you here. we got a heck of a foundation growing, man. It's going to be fun. Yes, I can't wait. All gas, brother. Let's roll, man. Hey, I'm What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Turn the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Will Parkinson, at willpaw 11 on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Joined by Badland Zone, Bleacher Report Zone, Connor Rogers. Connor, how are you doing today? Good, Will. What's going on, man? Nothing really. You know, man, we're just getting ready for training camp here. Pretty exciting stuff. And, uh, you know, we're going to hopefully get some, you know, some good stuff out here for everybody. And if you're not listening to Badlands, you can catch some of Connor and Joe's stuff on, on Badlands. And then again, obviously, if you if you listen to the channel, I'm sure you guys are following Connor on Twitter and his draft stuff. But um, wanted to get you started with just a little bit of there's been, the you know, kind of debates on Twitter of what realistic expectations are for Zach Wilson. And, you know, the ESPN article comes out the other day with the executives, coaches, voting on where the Jets kind of rank front office wise coaching player rank. And they ranked Wilson already at 18, um, which I think caught some people off guard. I'm not sure if it was a little aggressive, positive way or, you know, and whatnot, but how did you kind of view that? And then what are your realistic expectations for, you know, the way he could play in 2021? Yeah, I think it's interesting, right? There's, there's kind of opinions where like, you can't make anyone happy. It's like when they say the Jets wide receivers are like 28th, everybody's like, Oh my God, it's too low. And then you see Wilson at 18. And it's like, well, I guess the the point being, and what I like with each exercise is some are saying what they are now and some are saying probably how they expect to finish the year. And I think when you look at Wilson, you hope as a Jets fan, but also it, the people sitting in that front office and the coaching staff that at the end of the year, you're going, wow, he's a top 20 quarterback in the NFL today. And he should be, he was the second overall pick. I uh, had a huge grade on the guy. I think that they've invested a lot into the offense where it's not Sam Darnold's year one or anything like that. This is a, we got playmakers. We think we're going to be able to run the ball. doesn't matter who's in the backfield because we've invested so much in the offensive line, uh, which in turn should keep him off his back for the most part. So I don't think that's crazy at all. If you're kind of highlighting it that by week four, he might not be the 18th best quarterback in the NFL, but by week, you know, I guess we could say 17. Now uh, he might be the best quarterback in the NFL or whatever it may be. So you look at expectations and it's tricky, right? Because stats based are a little different with the extra game this year. And then, of course, you you know, everybody loves to act like uh, they can get a true read on this. But we've never seen, you know, LaFleur call plays. This is his first, this is his first time doing that. So and, and we can kind of get a read on what the scheme will be looking at a little bit of, uh, 
you know, what San Francisco does. He's been there a while. Of course he was in Atlanta and even a little bit what his brother's done in green Bay. And honestly, even what Arthur Smith was doing in Tennessee the last couple of years before he left for Atlanta. So I think we know what the identity of this offense is going to be. I don't think they're going to ask him to throw the ball like the chargers did with Justin Herbert last year. I don't think it's going to be that kind of situation. I kind of like to look back at maybe 2018 Baker Mayfield. Right. And I think that, you know, in a season where he threw 27 touchdowns and 14 picks with the, and Zach will have a couple extra games because Baker only played in 14 that year. I think that's kind of where I expect Zach to be at. Honestly, I think that the touchdowns will outweigh the interceptions, which is always good. I think it'll be, you know, in that plus 10 to 15 range in terms of the ratio and how you're looking at it. And I think, you know, Baker, that was actually the most yards he had per attempt in his career that year. I don't know if we'll see Zach at 7.7, but I do think we'll see him push the ball down the field. So I have pretty high expectations for Wilson, like a lot of people do. Yeah, I mean, if if Wilson throws for 7.7 yards per attempt next year, I think fans are going to be pretty sold. Yeah, I the none of Zach Wilson jerseys are going to be. Outrageous. I'm going to look up the last Jet to even do that. I, I don't even know if it's Patrick did that in 2015. Maybe, maybe Sam three different games out of the 35 starts. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, no, I'm a, I'm in agreement with you. I just the issue for me is going to be just if they can keep him healthy and they can establish some type of run game early in the season to at least give him a chance. Um, and then keep these receivers on the field. He should be able to produce. And I said this, um, I've, I've said this a couple of times now, if you're betting Zach Wilson at plus a thousand when rookie of the year, um, as crazy as it is, and it's not just being a Jets homer, like it's the, probably the most beneficial thing because him and Lawrence are probably the only two guys that start from week one. Yep. And Wilson, quite frankly, just is in a much better situation. The Jaguar situation gets scarier by the day. And I feel like the Jets situation you just feel at least solid about obviously like you mentioned though the play calling thing you can predict a bunch of different stuff until we see him call plays i don't you can't say for certain what's going to happen you just have the principles of what the shanahan stuff has looked like in the past but um you know you look at some of the matchups the jets have coming up you've highlighted this a couple of times and and i've i've said this a couple of times as well they don't have a ton of elite quarterbacks on the on the schedule but they have a lot of interesting matchups what are some games you're looking forward to most because there's some glaring ones, but, you know, maybe you're looking forward to a game that maybe not everyone's talking about. Well, I think, you know, of course, week one is going to be and it's not because it's week one, but because you get to see Sam right away. And I think that, you know, I, I don't know if Sam, the green light's just going to come on week one for him in a loaded Carolina offense. I think that you'd rather get Sam week one than later on in the year where you could build some chemistry. You might have more command of what Joe Brady wants to do down there. So I think it's going to be that matchup to me just stands out because the jets have no corners and Carolina's loaded with weapons at wide receiver and in the backfield that theoretically they should be able to score points on the flip side. I know they have some really young ascending players and I love Brian Burns. I think the jets offensive line can handle their front seven where the jets might be able to run the ball at will and throw the ball down the field off play action. So two teams that have huge question marks on offense in general this year, really the jets only because they have a rookie and the Panthers, because they're taking on a reclamation project. You could see each team go over 25, 30 points in week one. So I think that's a fun matchup. Of course, new England week two, because realistically everybody knows that if the jets win week one and then surprise new England week two and start off two and zero, which I'm personally not expecting, but if they do that, the conversation goes from, you know, it's, it's a really Rex vibes again in 09 where you're going, wow, this team could be in the playoff hunt. 
this quarterback could be the real deal. This coach could be the real deal. The radio conversations changed so much. So I think those first two weeks to me are really exciting. You got a division game. You got the, you know, you get to see Sam right away. I think those are the two that jump out the most. And then the rest of the schedule, you know, the Jets, and something you and I have talked about a lot, the Jets just don't play a ton of good quarterbacks when you look at it from a whole. They have a stretch where they get Tannehill, who I actually think is very good right now, Matt Ryan, who is still very good, and then Joe Burrow in, in three out of four games. That's really the big one for them. You know, of course, they get Josh Allen twice, who has been phenomenal last year. But when you look at this schedule, who's going to win the Saints job? What's going to be going on with the Texans? You know, Jalen Hurts, is he going to be the guy for the Eagles? It, there's just situations across the board. Will Brady even have to play on January 2nd when they play the Bucs? Will Josh Allen have to play or will be Mitch Trubisky the final week of the season? The Bills should have a playoff spot wrapped up. So the Jets, the quarterbacks they face is if you're looking to be optimistic about the Jets, and, and I did put in a bet of them over six and a half wins. I think they win seven games this year. Your selling point should be they can take advantage of their quarterback schedule. Yeah, the, the thing for the Jets, it's like this, everyone keeps asking win totals and stuff. Like, they could win six games and Wilson could look awesome and I'd be happy. Sure. But at the same time, they could also run into something like get hot and, and win eight games and nobody would be like, wow, this is crazy. Just because the schedule, like, this is very reminiscent to me of the 2019 schedule where they won a bunch of games against kind of eh, quarterbacks, if we're yeah. being kind. If we're being kind. Um, no, I, I totally agree with you. And like the first four games or, or first five games really before the bye is if you, if they get off to anything above two and, you know, if they can just come out three and two, they're not going to come out four and one, but like the Denver situation, I've just talking to somebody, um, pretty close to the Denver situation. They were like, Teddy's going to be the starter, but like they, they're screwed at quarterback because they don't really know what they have. Like they're just in that weird limbo period. They'd probably love Rogers and that's oh, just yeah. not on the table. Just yeah. I would have sold every single thing I could possibly sell off to get them. Cause they're probably a 15 win team with Rogers, but uh, no, even like you look at the Atlanta, Tennessee games, that the Tennessee game got harder with Julio, but the Atlanta game got significantly easier being a neutral site and now not having, not having to deal with Julio. So I'm, I'm optimistic. Those are the two matchups. The, the Jaguars Jets matchup will be fun from like a, a storyline perspective, just depending on how things go, but I'm not, that game doesn't impact the season for me as much as those opening few games where like, I would love Mac Jones to start week two and just get obliterated by Quinn in five times. Cause he can't move. So those are kind of the games for me that those first two weeks are going to be very telling of the mood of, you know, the team and not being eliminated by October. Um, wanted to get to a couple of guys, you know, there's a lot of different roster battles we're going to see in camp, mainly the ones that stick out to me, outside linebacker, corner, uh, that second spot at corner, honestly, free safety, very strong safety, like who's going to win Davis or Joyner, um, right guard as well, but I'm just not confident about anyone that's starting at right guard, so I guess it doesn't interest me quite as much. What are the matchups for you that really you're like most interested to follow day by day um, as training camp goes on? You highlighted the safety one. I think that's one just because – I really like Ashton Davis. I know for whatever reason, a lot of people don't, but I could also see the coaching staff favoring Joyner. They went out and signed him. It wasn't crazy money, but he's a veteran, uh, a high IQ guy. You could trust back there with May. And then you can use Davis more of this chess piece kind of player. He's a, he was the one of the better special teams players at his program coming out of Cal because of the type of, type of athleticism he has. So he can be a real special teams guy that also can be a big nickel, uh, can be a blitzer from the slot 
can play single high when you want to, you know, I, solid didn't do really three safety looks last year, but maybe it's something that they like with this personnel because they just have no corners. So I, I think I could see a situation where they, they really, they lean on Joyner in a more traditional safety role and use Ashton Davis as this move piece on the defense, looking on the offensive side of the ball, the backfield to me, while everybody's really calling it a giant mystery, I would almost be surprised if Ty Johnson and Michael Carter don't cement themselves as this one, a one B duo. I, I really, I, I don't really see the fit with the Michael P Ryan. It wouldn't shock me if he makes the team as a, you know, running back three that they, they like, cause he's sturdy and pass pro. He catches the ball, but he doesn't really give you any juice in the run game. So he's just your kind of rock solid Jack of all trades, master of none, not really even, you know, above average at none, but a lot of running back threes in the league on depth charts are those kind of guys. So I don't see him being the one A or one B that, you know, Ty Johnson will give you that outside speed, Michael Carter, smaller, shiftier pass catcher type. I think that's going to be the jets one, two punch in the backfield, but the, in camp, you know, is Tevin Coleman have anything left in the tank? He was hurt pretty much all last year. Is Josh Adams going to build off of some flashes last year. So it's wide open there. And then I think the other one that no one's talking about probably because it's not exciting is backup quarterback between James Morgan and Mike White, or do they go out and get a veteran? And I guarantee what these two guys show the first two weeks of the year probably dictates the latter part. If they go out and get a veteran, I, you know, I, I hope Morgan just cements himself as the number two and it's done. I, I don't really see why this team should go get Nick Foles and bring in that kind of money and, and give up anything. Although I don't know if they'd have to give up anything to even get him. And it, the truth of the matter is if Zach goes down, I know Foles has had some brilliant moments coming in to start games, but I don't know. I just don't know if he, if he's, if he would really be into that move coming into New York and maybe he would be, I truly don't know, but I'd rather just see Morgan cement himself as the number two and he hasn't had a chance to prove himself one way or the other. So we just, we don't know at tight end. And these are like the battles that are just not exciting, but they're very real, right? Like the safety and running back situations, I think are pretty exciting because the players are, are good. And there's a, a young guy in each group that can take a step. These other ones, it's kind of like, all right, tight end, you know, I, I want to see Herndon have success here. We just, we're starting to lose faith. Ryan Griffin has missed so much time because of injury. Tyler Croft, I think, is going to play a lot. And then you wonder what Trevon Wesco's role is. I really do think he can move to fullback and give them some reps there. So tight end is just wide open. And even Kenny Yeboah, uh, if he has a really good camp, maybe they keep him or most likely they practice squad him is what I assume. So this is a roster that has a lot of holes. And when you when you have a lot of holes, I didn't even get in the corner and I, I don't need to. It's been discussed so much at this point, both slot and the outside starter across from Bryce Hall. It's a roster with a lot of holes, but at least there's young competitive guys that I think will feed off the energy of Salah buy in and, and show something. Yeah, no, I, those, some of those battles, it's difficult because you don't want to talk about them because they're almost like you kind of, you're admitting maybe the position groups, not like what you want, especially tight end to me is the one that's like, if you look at all these different offenses, whether it was Kyle Rudolph in Minnesota for the last decade, or you look at um, obviously George Kittle in, in yeah. San Francisco, and you know it's the main example. But even you know down in Atlanta, what you know they've been able to do with the tight end position, like um, Hayden Hurst and, and all these different guys. Um, it's just it's difficult. Or Austin Hooper was exceptional under Kyle Shannon, so yeah, he got a huge move, and now they have seventeen tight ends in Cleveland. But I don't know. I'm just I'm nervous with tight end because I feel like it you're going to end up having to play a lot. Not that I don't want to play a lot of 10 personnel, which would be amazing to watch because the Jets have not done that like ever. But 
I don't know, like, do you really want to use Mims in that Robert Woods role where like you kind of limit his big body ability and you're kind of more so just like, he's not that route runner in my opinion. So it's going to no. make him, it's going to make it difficult. Like you're caught in the middle there. Um, We'd probably yeah, no. be Keelan Cole in that situation, right? Yeah, and that's, that's, like, that's what's interesting. Is, like Keelan Cole is the guy that for me, it's like, I, I can't figure out if like, we're just crazily overrating him because he had a decent mini camp <laughs> yeah. or like, cause he was just like, he was just another guy in Jacksonville. Like it's not like he was solid and he's not a bad NFL receiver. It just, I don't want to get the expectations that you're bringing in uh Santonio Holmes from, you know, Pittsburgh yes. back in the day, but no, for safety, I agree with you. Linebacker and corner are just tough because you know the group is very reliant on a young, un, like unproven young guys, and then a veteran in, I guess, a veteran at this point. And Bless and Blake Cashman are both guys that have shown flashes, but yep. they very, very rarely stay on the field. And I, I yep. get it; it's just like it's hard to count on that. So, um, wanted to, wanted to get your opinion. We kind of, I just kind of just you know about the receivers. There's very differing opinions. Kind of seems like Elijah Moore and Corey Davis are the guys. For some reason, you made this point yesterday. No one's talking about Corey Davis, and I don't really know why. It yeah, it's seems weird. like it's really weird the Jets make a big money move at receiver and nobody's saying a word about it. Um, maybe it was too competent of a signing, so people aren't talking about it. But Moore and Davis seem the guys that are solidified in Crowder, who's kind of getting forgotten here. And I know he's probably going to be off the roster either by week eight or the end of the year, but he's still a legitimate NFL receiver that's produced. The Mims and it's well, I just want to go to Mims because I, I don't know if it's wanting him to be as good as we expect him to be or people super down on him. Where are you kind of at with Mims? Because I feel like it's the most one of the more polarizing topics going into camp. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think with Mims, it's it's about staying healthy, number one, and he just hasn't, which is, you know, that's really kind of rule one of the NFL as a whole. If if you're you know, your best ability is availability. And I know it's cliche, but it in coaches' eyes, it's really the thing they care about. And then they try to figure out the rest. They think that, you know, like 80% of the guys on rosters, they can coach up to, to at least blend in and be just the guy. Like we talked about with Keelan Cole, for example. And if you're not healthy, they can't even get you to do that. So what you hope is Mims doesn't have a lot of injury problems continue where the staff sours on him. That would be disappointing. And I think that, you know, this guy was dominant in college and for three years. And for some of that, he played with a broken hand. So Mims is really kind of in a way he, he possesses some of the ability that Corey Davis does. And it obviously only had one injury plagued rookie season. So it hasn't translated. And what I mean by that is he's very good in contested catch situations. He's a very high effort, big bodied run blocker, which this team is going to love. And he's somebody that can work the middle of the field. Now, if you're expecting him to line up all over and consistently gain separation and all of those things and be, I actually thought he showed more juice after the catch than I expected at times last year, but he's not going to be Elijah Moore. You're not going to throw him a screen and say, beat two guys and get up field. That's not his game. So I think with Mims, you know, I evaluated him really as this long-term number two. I think he has a ways to go to get there. Being a number two wide receiver in the NFL is very difficult to do. And I think that, you know, Corey Davis has kind of developed into that and he's been really good at it the last two years. So with Mims, I think it makes sense to get him involved in the red zone, uh, get him involved, obviously, you know, all over the place, especially because you could rely on him as a run blocker, but is he going to be on the field for 90% of the snaps, you know, of the season? That's not what he's going to do. He's not, Corey Davis is going to be that number one defined role, never come off the field. I think Moore is going to get a lot of work and a lot of that work will be in the slot, but they won't be afraid to play him on the outside. 
Crowder is still going to be used. There's a reason they fought so hard to keep him here. He's still going to get a lot of looks as well. Killen Cole, we'll see how much he's used. I think it's being overstated for minicamp. I don't think he's like cemented himself over Mims. But I just think when you look at Mims, you want him to develop into that long-term number two where next year you're going into the year and you go, okay, our base three wide receiver set would be Corey Davis, Denzel Mims, or Elijah Moore in the slot. Cole and Crowder will be free agents at the end of the year. He's just got to stay healthy. They have a guy in Elijah Moore that could separate. Uh, they have a guy in Corey Davis that is just tailor-made for everything they want to do in the pass game. But they, they still need that big body target in Mims, and they need him to show uh, that he's for real. And I, I think he will. I'm not really that concerned about it. I think that, you know, Jets fans, and I don't blame them for this, are so star-wide receiver starving that – they probably looked at his, you know, athletic measurables from the combine and just his, his highlights and his flashes as a rookie and thought, okay, can he be a superstar number one? And I don't think he's ever supposed to be that guy. I think that a rock solid number two possession contested catch red zone guy and high quality blocker would be a win for Mims. And I think that's what he'll be. Yeah. The, the difficult issue, like I, I think, it's with Mims is that you see four three eight or I think you went four three eight, but doesn't he doesn't play. play he doesn't play yes. four three eight, so like you can't. You have to just take like temper the expectations there. Um, and then and then the other difficult part is you watch some of the guys that I wrote this piece on on the website just about the guys that have been drafted in that twenty to fifty range in the draft the last two years specifically, and it's why I think more can come in and be awesome right away. Yeah, um, which is also at the same time why you have to look at like. It's just difficult if you look at Chase Claypool and you look at Justin Jefferson, you look at these guys, Michael Pittman, who I would have loved the Jets to yeah. uh, move up and get at the time. But at the end of the day, they have Mims. I think he can be successful in the NFL. I just, again, it's just like tempering those expectations that he's probably going to be third or fourth in targets on the team this year. But if he can, oh, take yeah. a, if he can take a step and then next year it's cemented, it's Davis Moore and Mims. And like, they turn into, you know, they can figure out tight end somehow and running back and, pans out then they're a top 15 group i know you and joe talked about this yesterday on the pod of like you know where they rank and i think you were a little bit more optimistic than joe on if i'm remembering correctly but it's all going to come down to can these guys stay in the field like it just it sounds annoying to keep talking hammering over and over again but they have struggled so badly keeping especially skill guys on the field for the last i don't know four or five years even look yeah. at a guy like quincy nuno who was a good nfl player he couldn't stay on the field and like it just it whatever it bottoms out and it's difficult to kind of handle but the other one i wanted to just touch on you mentioned backup quarterback the jets need james morgan and win this job for the solidify the pick that they took in a that was a premium yeah. pick that could have been a starter last year um you know if you develop it correctly obviously but i would it would suck to have to cut james morgan a year and a half after um you know, taking a fourth round pick on him and the team being like already had a young quarterback. So taking another one was basically insurance and like to not use either of those guys to be on the roster 12 months later, just it's a bad allocation of resources. And as much as I want to give Douglas all the credit in the world, that draft last year, it's a lot to be desired. I don't know if it was a lot of gays yeah. influence, but P Ryan, I love Ashton Davis. I'd love to see more of him this year. Cam Clark, if he's ever going to, you know, wear pads. It, like, there's a lot of questions about that draft comparatively to this one where I feel a little bit more confident they drafted long-term starters across the board. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that, you know, it kind of makes – he'll always have the built-in excuse, whether it's right or wrong, that, you know, some of these were Gase-influenced picks, some of these were Greg-influenced picks. And that's okay. It's That's fine. But – you know, Joe, I think, understands he'll probably be the first guy to tell you that you're going to miss a lot outside of the top 
40 picks a lot. And now you're seeing the strategy change where he, he got a haul for Jamal Adams and he got a two for Sam. A lot of people keep forgetting this, like, and the jets with some of those picks, obviously they're really bad that helped this too, but you got a trio of Zach Wilson, Elijah Vera Tucker and Elijah Moore. You feel really good about those guys. And that's because the draft capital was in the top 35 picks. And then next year you're looking at it, you know, they're in a scenario where they're going to be picking twice in the first round, twice in the second round. It's just, it, you look at their scenario and they're just, they're understanding that they need more lotto tickets where in that year he moved back a lot in that draft, but there was no, Hey, we got an extra one. Hey, we got an extra two. It was a lot of how can I get creative to get more picks and they're not going to hold the same premium value. I agree with you that there were questionable selections, right? I love the Mims pick. And if it was the wrong pick, I'll go down with that ship. I really liked the Beckton pick, and it was very obvious to understand. I admittedly had Tristan Morphs higher than him, but I, it's, they needed a tackle, and they felt Beckton could play on the left side, and when he's been on the field, he's been tremendous. So it's, you're not going to sit here and kill that pick. You know, I like Ashton Davis like you. I, you just We need to see more. It's, you don't kill a pick or, or overpraise a pick after one year. Zuniga had a lot of injury questions in college, and they translated to the NFL. That's not good. Morgan, I like the player but they took him really early. And when you take him there, you're saying he's our backup for the, as long as his rookie contract runs and then maybe some more. So I think when you look at it from that perspective, you're absolutely right. Like Cam Clark has to show he could be on the football field at some point. And I think that, you know, we're going to learn a lot this preseason about those guys. It's, we really get like this double dipping of like, wow, we have not seen James Morgan play for the Jets. We have not seen Cam Clark play for the Jets. In reality, we have not seen Jabari Zuniga, a third-round pick, a third-round pick. We have really not seen him play much for the Jets. So, And even a guy like Bryce Huff that is a UDFA that should get a lot of preseason burn. So you're right. It's, it, this is a huge summer of learning not just who's starting, but who can actually be here on that second line of defense, who can provide some depth for this team, and did they get enough of that from Joe Douglas's first draft? Yeah, that was the that was the one thing I want to kind of transition into, and um, obviously the amount of draft capital they've got coming up for you know coming forward here, like you mentioned, the two ones, the two twos. I think they have multiple fours, if I'm not mistaken. I know they got a fifth for Avery Williamson, who's weirdly not signed still. I thought he would he get picked up as a guy maybe resign with the Steelers, but honestly, I would take him back on the Jets on a minimum deal as a backup for CJ Mosley. Yeah. But um, uh, Mosley, we don't talk about this in another episode, but Mosley is super important, by the way, based on the, the beginning matchups. The, the Patriots, Panthers use the running backs out of the backfield. The Broncos have elite running backs, in my opinion, at least. Well, I think Javante is awesome. So, um, but what I wanted to ask you about is they've got all these different picks, right? And they've got a ton of cap space coming up, even if they extend Q and they extend Marcus May, for example, like they still have a ton of money, um, you know, going forward. What is like the quick kind of timeline, like the expectations of fan base, is it like playoff appearance in 2022 based on the fact of where they're at? Or is it like, this is a two or three year rebuild more so than just one year. I think in 2022, you would like to, especially since the playoff pools increased right now, you, you want, you got to be competing for a playoff spot and you got to look at it. Like Buffalo should be good for a long time, but there's, you should eventually be competing with them. And besides that, they're gonna have to pay a lot of people soon, which also gives you a little bit of an entryway while your quarterbacks on a rookie scale you know, you got Miami that we don't know about Tua yet. You got New England, who's in a complete transition phase. We don't know what Mac's going to be there, and they got a lot of new faces. You got to compete. You got to start going three and three or, or whatever it may be in your division, above 500 at some point. So 
my expectations are this is a true building year. Like I said, I think they win seven games. I think you see a lot of promise from young players that should be here for a long time. And then 2022, you got your foot on the gas and you're going, all right, we're, we're here and we're expecting to make the playoffs. We're not, we're, we're not keeping the training wheels on anyone. And, and if you can't keep up, you're out. And if, you know, if there's a coach that is not doing his, then, then he's out. And I think, you know, Salah will learn a lot this year. LaFleur is going to learn a lot this year. Obrick's going to learn a lot this year. And you got to take those things with you into 2022. And guys are going to buy in this year. And then when they show up for camp the following year, they're already bought in. They're already good to go. They already know the system on both sides of the ball. And that you start to actually build something. So I'll never put a playoff mandate or expectations in year one of any system, no matter the quarterback could be, you know, whatever, whoever, when they, you know, obviously when they went out and got like a, a far, that was like a playoff mandate, but that wasn't year one. So they've got a rookie quarterback. It's a building year, but yeah, I, I do think things will accelerate very quickly. And, and if they, if they got this higher, right. And they got this quarterback pick, right. And you got to get both. If you're Joe Douglas, they should be a playoff team in 2022. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. I think that they're in a situation where, like, you're going to find out really quick if they're the Chargers in 12 months or if they're the Dolphins, where, like, yeah. the Dolphins got the higher rate, and they just – I don't know if they nailed that draft last year, which is going to hang over their head you can for dictate everything, right? Yeah, right, because, like, Ryan Flores is great, but he maxed out the value of that team last year, and – now they have no idea at quarterback if they're going to be drafting another guy. They're going to be drafting Spencer Rattler in 12 months. You know what I mean? Like, you just don't yeah. know. They could have taken Trey Lance or Justin Fields this year. If they, so. take, if they would have taken Trey Lance, I would have been very flustered as a yeah. Jets fan if he yeah. ended up in the division. Not that Justin Fields isn't going to be really good. I just – Trey Lance's upside to me, like, scares me a oh, lot yeah. in the division. But I want to quickly finish up with this. Um, obviously, you've gotten into, you know, your 2022 work. Who are the guys – I mean, I know we talked about like Justin Hamilton's and the Kayvon Thibodeaux of the world and stuff like that. I think those guys stand out. Who are the non-quarterback prospects that maybe aren't in the top 10 guys right now? Not like a Stingley Jr. I feel like those are the guys that stick out to everybody just because they've been good for so long already. Who are the guys maybe in that 10 to 20 range where we hope the Jets will be picking that maybe stick out to you a little bit? Um, you're like, I'm really interested to watch this guy develop um, yeah. in 2022. Well, I'm opening up my doc for this, but off the top of my head, I mean, Elam on Florida, the corner is just uh, the guy that's going to be like attached to the Jets for so long during this fall because Stingley will probably go over him. Although I, I think it's a lot closer than people realize. He wasn't as good last year. Am I, I don't, wrong? I, it's I don't know why nobody will talk about that. And it's I'm not even going to like put it on Twitter because then everybody will just think you're playing contrary. I almost I, tweeted it. and I don't even follow the draft the way you do. And I was like, he wasn't like I watched. He's, the gotten, game. Oh, he's a great player that's gotten overrated. He, he I'll say that. And he, this year is huge for him. I think he's a great player that a lot is riding on this year. But like when you look at, you know, Kyir Elam from Florida, he's someone that is probably going to go in that 10 to 20 range. It looks like he's got length. He looks like a shutdown corner. I'm not convinced this team will ever draft a corner in the first round with this regime, but it's just naturally something that you're going to look at and go, wow, team needs a corner. That guy looks like an absolute dog in the future. Uh, he's got crazy NFL bloodlines. The Jets fans should know Abram Elam is actually, I think his dad who uh, he played for the Jets. So, and Matt Elam is his uncle. So I think when you look at it, that's one that's going to be, drawn to them i think when you look at the offensive line somebody like linderbaum uh from iowa just because mcgovern could be you can move on from him next year uh linderbaum is just an 
animal on the interior of the offensive line. I, I thought if he declared last year, I was preparing for him to declare and, and thought he was a top 40 prospect and he went back to school, which means he could probably be a first rounder this year. So those are the two that like, you're never going to hear really connected. And in, in, as we do this in July, you're, you're just hearing about the top guys like Rattler, of course, and things like that. Those are the two, whereas I've gone through summer evals, I'm like, man, they just make too much sense. The wide receiver class looks really, really good to me. Don't think the Jets are going to be going down that road anytime soon again that early. You know, the running back class, there's a couple guys here and there. The Jets should not ever draft a running back in round one. They just, they have other needs. And then, of course, it's a team that will always be looking at pass rushers. I look at somebody, and I know it's saying a Florida pass rusher is like taboo for the Jets, but Brenton Cox is someone I thought last year could have declared as a redshirt sophomore. He didn't. He went back to school. He'll probably build up that stock. The Jets should not be bad enough for Thibodeau. Uh, but if they are, I mean, absolute stud and would be a complete game changer across from Carl Lawson. So this class is, you know, it's interesting. I, I think it, it might not have the quarterback star power of last year. I can tell you it will not. And I think it, you know, it's, it's going to lack some juice in that area, but I think there's a lot of positions like offensive line, like corner that win championships that this this is pretty it's pretty loaded with talent in those areas yeah I mean for the Jets sake and I think this was something that I know you mentioned like probably a million times was that part of the reason that you also wanted them to move on from Donald was the quarterback class coming up was just there was no guarantees if Sam isn't the guy you're like kind of in that bad situation where you almost it feels like the Kyler the Kyler draft where it's like a one quarterback draft, maybe two, if we're like really, really pushing it. But, yeah. you know, Andrew Booth, I've heard mentioned a million times already to me that like, he's a guy that stands out, but I agree with you. I think the only way they're going receivers, if Mims is just atrocious this year, yeah. and like, and that's it. And, or they're good enough that they're later in the first round there. I just expect them every year to be attacking O-line to be attacking edge. You're absolutely right. And then Douglas hasn't been afraid of weapons, but eventually you're going to need to continue to build out that side, the other side of the ball, which maybe they just go free agency that way. I don't know. And I'll tell you this wide receiver class just from summer watches seems so reminiscent to the Mims year where we had a ton of day two guys that you probably sit again, you go, I'll wait. And, and with pick, you know, the Panthers pick or the Jets second rounder, you're like, I'll take a wide receiver. Then I don't need to do this in round one. So yeah, you, you're right. They, they're going to have a clearly defined strategy. You know, maybe they look at like a freak show safety, like a Kyle Hamilton from Notre Dame. That's like six, four and can be your like Fred Warner kind of player in this defense. He's a, he's just that kind of player where he's so athletic for that position, but big enough to play in the box. Um, but overall, I think they'll keep a pretty, basic blueprint of how to keep building this team which is a good thing i think it's actually going in the right direction last these are the last two these are gonna be really quick more likely the jets trade up for Kayvon thibodeau and package the picks they have or more likely they trade back in july like what what would be a more on brand joe douglas thing to do oh, wow that's like a good they, one what if, if they're picking 12th where it costs them two ones in a future two or something of that nature yeah, I, I think at that point you got to. It would depend on obviously Salah's evaluation and what they do this year. If they're like, hey, we're one edge rusher away from being like a real force, you go do it. If you're like, oh my God, we're losing. We don't think we can re-sign Morgan Moses. We don't like our interior offensive line situation besides Vera Tucker and we got no corners, then you got to keep the pick. So I, I think it's pretty unlikely. Honestly, I would go with the trade back is more likely. Um, now if that situation you presented to me 
was for the 2023 draft after they're coming off, you know, year one, they were better, but not great, but building 2022, they were a wild card team that can compete. Then year three, you go, we're not having these 11 player draft classes anymore. It's not feasible. We got the roster we want. We can trade three or four picks for one big fish. I think that's probably like a, a later on Douglas draft move. Yeah, no, that's I'm, I'm just interested to see how the rest of the NFL, if this Rams thing works this year, if they start to go, we're going to start trading picks NBA style to get proven veterans that will pay. Um, and, you know, obviously they're already dealing with depth issues there. Last, last more likely, more likely the Jets have three pro bowlers or more, or they have no pro bowlers. Wow. Good one. Real good one. I'll. Wow, that's tough. Like realistically, it's Becton AVT if they're both good because the guard spot in the AFC is not as good. And then I would probably it's probably May, I mean, it's probably uh, Mayor Mosley, May Mosley, oh, Quinnen, Quinnen, or Carl Lawson. Because so Lawson... okay, I'll I'll go with the three because I don't think they have I don't think there's any shot they have zero. I think one of Quinnen and Lawson will be one of Becton and AVT or Moses. One of those three could be. And then I think you get a wild card. I think you get a, either a Mosley has this crazy comeback year. May is so mad about his contract. He just balls out again. Um, or you, you honest, people aren't talking about this enough. And I know you, you shouted it out early in the show. Like Corey Davis just might be a target machine in this offense. Like they might just be, I know people are excited about Elijah Moore. I know people are excited about Denzel Mims. They're young players. Like they might just go out and be like, all right, we're giving Corey Davis like 150 targets this year because he's the guy all the time where the numbers might be just like, oh, all right, well, Corey Davis gets in on numbers. So yeah, I think it's more likely there's three than zero. And and usually that means there'll be something in between. If there's zero pro bowlers, there's, there's a problem. There's a, there's going to be something went horribly wrong and they're probably picking the top five again, to be honest, because you just cannot have these year, year after year. And, um, again, obviously, thank you for coming on. We're excited. There's a lot, you know, a lot going on and, um, you know, I'll keep, we'll keep getting in arguments on not me and you, but with other people about <laughs> yeah, we don't do that. sacks versus pressures and the whole nine yards. I've gotten about 15 arguments already today. So we're going to keep it going, but no, appreciate it. Make sure, you know, following Connor, if you're listening to the channel, I'm sure people are already following Connor and, uh, you know, Badland, there's a ton of great content. Obviously the draft stuff's going to start to ramp up here as, as soon as college football starts. So make sure you're tuned in there. Um, I found out, I found some guys that I didn't really watch enough last year and, follow Connor on Twitter and it was able to, you know, pick some stuff up and, um, you yeah, know, we appreciate having you on and hopefully we'll, uh, you know, we'll be able to talk about some W's during the season and not to be all negative that w- all year. That would be nice, man. Thanks, Will. I appreciate you, bro.